1: hey people uh, I just wanted to say from the beginning that the first four minutes of audio are a bit bad Cyra wasn't there this week shout out half hope call for holding it down they did a fantastic job as you'll as you'll soon hear so yeah just get through the first four minutes and you'll be all right so uh, without further ado here's episode 65 of talking tactics hopefully you guys enjoy it peace and love. <laughs>
0: guys welcome to token tactics yes don't worry you're not in the matrix okay normally you'd be hearing the lovely voice of your boy danny t but he's feeling under the weather at the moment so two-thirds of the token tactics crew are gonna hold it down so i am half hope i'm carl anchor and yeah, so in this week, we're going to pretty much be looking at the questions of the week. And maybe we'll double a bit on the transfer deadline day and who got the best transfers. But I think mainly this is going to be a Q&A question-led episode, so we'll try divergence. that. So, Carl, without further ado, let's start with question numero uno. Sure,
1: sure. Uh like Talking Tactics on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, mm. uh, SoundCloud, make sure if you're on iTunes, you give us an iTunes review and we'll read them out. And always make sure to send in your questions, your heroes and villains of the week. Obviously, with it being an international week, your attention to the world of football may be elsewhere. Mm. I know certain people prefer national football, but I, have hope, but I know you're a big international football man, so let's just get into it then.
0: Okay, man, let's let's roll. So,
1: question number one. Questions from Shatu
0: okay. at
1: Shatu Camp. His first question is two questions. Uh, Is Iniesta the greatest ever Spanish player? And do you guys rate him as the same class as Zidane, Messi and Ronaldinho?
0: Basically, I will answer
1: those things straight and then I'll
0: then go into deeper after you give the answer. So the answer to the first question is yes. I'll put him just ahead of Raul. And the answer to the second question is no. He's not in the same class as Zidane or Ronaldinho. Interesting. Interesting.
1: Now, I know you talk a lot about your qualifications for 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 being a great footballer in the half-hope sense of the word. I know how mm. you talk about the horseman, how you have to win a World Cup to be a horseman. Iniesta, integral to the Spain sides, 2008, 2010, and 2012. Mm. Iniesta, integral to, arguably, one of the greatest club sides, modern football history in that Barcelona side. And he doesn't count as the same classes as Messi and Ronaldinho.
0: My reason for that... sorry, no, I don't... Why not? My thing is, is that I look at that Spanish team very, very carefully. And for me, I always like, Iniesta is a class player. But the thing about Iniesta is that you need football connoisseurs or football guys know why Iniesta is so good. The reason why Zidane and Ronaldinho are at a different level is those guys, they branch out of just people who are football enthusiasts. A guy from the road or the streets can look at a football match and say, wow, who is that guy called Zidane? Wow, who's that guy called Ronaldinho? A guy from the road who doesn't really know football won't really appreciate what Iniesta does. So Iniesta, as good as he is, he's not on that kind of transcendent, individualistic, game-changing, singular level that a Zidane or a Ronaldinho is. And my example is, I always use this example. Same thing I do with, with the Javi thing. Put Zidane or Ronaldinho in a really bad team, they will elevate mm-hmm. that team. Put Iniesta in a really bad team, I don't think he will elevate them to the same level as a peak Ronaldinho or a Picasso as Zidane would.
1: Ooh, I, I would disagree. Bring back to the original question. I think Iniesta is definitely one of the greatest Spanish players of all time. But you say one of? Uh, why why not the greatest? When you are arguing about the singular greatest player in a team sport, you're just arguing hypotheticals here, and it just by the end of it, it's just what you prefer. I you know Iniesta goes hand in hand with Xavi, so it's it's splitting hairs when you are arguing who's the better one. Um, if you want to talk about greatest Spanish players of all time, you've got Raul, Iniesta, Xavi, Puyol, yeah. um, Fern- Villa, Fernando Hierro. Uh, yeah, I said Hierro, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, um, uh, Yeah, I'd, I'd say those th- those are the core great Spanish players of all time. Yeah, and Iniesta's yeah. up there. He's probably, he's what, he's at least top three. And then once you're in top three, it's just a case of what you prefer watching. Mm-hmm. I think something, there's a really good piece done by Musua Kwonaga and some friends of his about how, um, you will see players be sold as the next Zidane, but you'll probably very rarely ever get the next Iniesta because what Iniesta did was he elevated this simple art form of playing a pass to its near-perfect degree. So Iniesta is the is the Tim Duncan of of football. He plays basic fundamentals to such a honed, refined level that, um, I mean, you, you raise an interesting point about how your average person on the road, if you're not into football, you wouldn't. Necessarily understand what's great about Iniesta. Mm. He does lack a certain crossover appeal. You know, he's kind of short. He's got a bald head, shaved head, and he doesn't look particularly flashy. And I think this keys into a wider argument about how when we do rank individuals in football, we tend to rank the attackers. So we tend to give higher presence to people that score the goals rather than people that stop the goals or create the goals. So if you look at Ballon Joe competition or the Golden Boy competition, the players that tend to win those tend to be attacking midfielders or, or or out-and-out strikers rather than defenders or box-to-box midfielders. So I think Iniesta loses some marks in general perception for that. But I think if you put Iniesta in every any side, he'd make that side better because what he can do and what he was able to do in terms of threading the needle and playing passes that maybe 0.3% of footballers will ever be able to spot would make any football side better. I think he'd be amazing at five-a-side football. I think he'd be amazing at Sunday League football. Um, so, yeah, I would very much put him on the... I, he deserves a seat on the greatest of all time table. And that pains me to say because Iniesta played on some Barcelona teams that and some Spain teams that I didn't enjoy watching and that knocked out some teams I very much did enjoy watching. So that's my Iniesta opinion there. Also, his autobiography is one of the best footballing books you can find. So I recommend you hunt that down.
0: Oh, it was, oh yeah. Also, so he has one, an autobiography.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um. So that's question one down. Uh, another one from Shah. Uh, why does Paul Scholes get overlooked when talking about the best centre midfielder? For him, for Shah too. Mm. Scholes and Perlo are the best of the generation with Xavi as number three. Um, so I don't particularly go in for the overrated, underrated argument, as you may have noticed. I very much think, if anything, Scholes is probably, in terms of overlooked, I think Scholes, especially in England, gets a high ranking. From football footballing press he's, he's properly rated I think he's, he's, he's properly rated I don't think
0: he's either overrated or underrated I think he it is what it is As in he never really Did it internationally You can blame the manager, you can blame the players And club wise He has received The kind of praise that you would expect As in Scholes was I mean this guy as a midfielder Who just regulates Excellent player, excellent central mid midfielder He's not a, a PLO. You know? Mm. He's not a PLO. As an output scores in in, a, in a similar to the Jabby kind of category. You know, and remember Jabby had a better functioning team and system that was perfect for him. Oh. But I just think oh. that
1: PLO. I think that was a disservice to those Manchester United teams. I think those Manchester United teams were revolved around skulls. I think if you look at how Ferguson brought him back out of retirement because he realized he need more, he needed more heft in midfield. In the late stages of United, I think, to a large extent, skulls was the sticking plaster and the glue for a lot of great Manchester United sides. Um, bear in mind, skulls when he started, out, he was a striker, and then he got played as a sort of second striker on the during the Van Nistelrooy tenure. And it was only later on, in the mid, you know, two thousand seven, two thousand eight onwards, that he started getting this sort of weird fawning adoration of him that I found particularly interesting. I mean, the, Z- the Zidane platitude of saying Skulls of Manchester was the best player he played against. I found that interesting. I always take the Iniesta and Zavi compliments they paid to Skulls with a pinch of salt because they were given into the lead-up of the Champions League final. Mm. And uh, if so if you are ever a football player and you are complimenting another football player on the op- opposition team in the lead-up to a final, take with a small bit of salt. Right, it's, it's, oh, you're kind of complimenting them, but also bear in mind, you're also trying to blow smoke up their ears so they play stupid football.
0: Yeah, it's, it's psychological, mind games, yeah.
1: mind games. Yeah, so I think quite a lot of those Xavi and Iniesta quotes and those things from Pep Guardiola saying Skulls are good, that become the bedrock of Skulls is this amazing English talent. Uh, I've been taken a little bit out of context. I think it's also weird to give Skulls platitudes when he can't tackle you could never tackle mate. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is a Man United fan. No, yeah, well and good, but he could never tackle. And I, would maybe put skulls on the same level as Perlo, but I'd say he's some far off. He's some far way off Xavier and Iniesta because you can make another skulls.
0: Actually, actually, let me ask you this question though: Who would you say is the better central midfielder out of Patrick Vieira, skulls, Jabi? and Pierlo? Um, oh, God, that's a hard one. Um, because, I mean, like, in my view, just, like, basically, when, because I was a central midfielder when I was, I was playing football, so that was always my position. And in my view, again, this is just how I view the position, because I played it and I studied it when I was young, and I still studied the position. Now, that's a position that I look at more closely than any other position. In mm-hmm. my view, the perfect central midfielder must be able to pass and tackle. Those are two critical functions of a central midfielder. Hence why in any greatest great 11 that I make, Vieira for me is the best all-round, is is, is the most ideal central midfielder that I've ever seen because of his ability to pass and tackle, to defend and attack. Because as great as Pielo, Xabi and Scholes were, they were not the best tacklers, they were
1: not the best... uh, um, ah, I think that, mm, see that, that, you see the problem there is you're putting a whole bunch of central midfielders into one category. So, um, like you, I played center midfield. Um, well, I actually started off as a right winger. Um, and then I was playing FIFA 09 and FIFA 09 said, based on your height and width dimensions, you'd be a far better defensive box to box midfielder than you would be as a wide player. So I moved to box to box. So I moved to becoming a six or an eight. And I think I think the problem when you talk about central central midfield is there are so many different permutations of that. Yes, so you've got yes, your, yes. You've got yeah, your yeah. you've got your attacking box to box midfielders like Aaron mm. Ramsey. You've got your defensive box to box midfielders, which is maybe like Alaba. You've mm. got your sitting. You've got your holding midfielders, Matic. Which, are, which is like Matic. and then you've got your attacking holding midfielders, which is maybe something a bit like Herrera. Mm. Uh, there are so many different shades that can change, and there's so many different permutations which change based on, uh, one, your football and culture, um, two, the club you're playing for, and three, the formation you're in. So I think, you know, at that time you're playing, I mean, Vieira is, how would you describe Vieira? Would, I mean, Vieira, back in the day, of his in his pomp, was just described as a central midfielder, mm. whereas now we're probably describing as maybe a box-to-box midfielder. True. I think back in the days of, let's say, 442 in the 90s, mm-hmm. he was just a pure central main midfielder. But now because... I, I wouldn't know. call it pure. I just call it a uh, different. Different. So yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in, the, in the era of four-four-two, you had to have your central midfielder play a sort of... Uh, uh, I mean, most of your central midfielders were box-to-box players. So yeah. they, were, they were eight, maybe sixes. So they could pass a bit, they could shoot a bit, they could mm-hmm. defend a bit, and they could tackle and, a and bit. I, and I remember as well that um,
0: this was a time where they were not really, there were no number 10s really. And yeah. you always had your, your two strikers. But we've now moved to a stage where it's become very midfield heavy, so there mm-hmm. are more different roles within the the midfield now.
1: Yeah, so I think now what we've got is it a, a, is an era of specialization, where you can now be a central midfielder and only sit. You know, Nemanja Matić back in the day would work in a four four two if you had a skulls next to him because the, you know one guy would sit and one guy would roam. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. To, to compare these players from different eras and different archetypes. Like, something I think a lot of players, a lot of football commentators forget is that when Perlo started out, he was a box-to-box midfielder. He was a dribbler. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Perlo, Perlo in his early AC Milan days would, I wouldn't say rampage, but he would, he would take the ball, he would drive it forward, he would golf and he'd do things. Mm. Um, and it's only when his speed left him that he became this sort of languid, sitting, deep-lying playmaker that, football the football world currently fetishizes so um to to bring it full circle i think skulls was a good midfielder i think he's one of the best england's ever produced i Mm. think the fact that we can't make more paul skulls more paul skulls type players is to the detriment of england football team so as we're recording this right now england are playing slovakia Mm. um they went two up before i went in the recording booth and i think something that that strikes me whenever England players, how often they snatch at shots and opportunities rather than uh, simply caress the ball, shall we say. Um, uh, English players tend to have a great tendency to drag their shots wide, which is something that tends to be, in my head, you know, you're panicking or you're overthinking a shot. Whereas scholars of the Jack Charlton uh, school of thought that when in doubt just hit the ball really, really hard, which I've always been a scholar of. But yeah I think Skulls was great but I think I think we are too easy to fetishize him I'm not going to say he's overrated or underrated I just think like a lot of players that didn't necessarily get the the praise when they were in their athletic prime now they're now they're near the end of their footballing Pomp or now they've retired we tend to get quite a lot of myth making saying they were the greatest player of all time and if only they got put in the right position Mm. their team would have won more trophies and I think football is a lot more complicated than that Um, Chat 2 has another question if you want to go into that one Hope it's about uh, who you prefer Isco and Eden Hazard Isco yeah I'll take that Isco is liquid football right now hazard is a superb attacking player and and the premier league will be a lot better when he comes back but i think isco is one of those players the way if you watch live and you just watch what you can do you you can see he's he's a bit like water like hazard is
0: very good like look when hazard is Mm -hmm. on but i think isco if i'm a coach there's more i can there's more isco can offer my team than with hazard as in i know that okay Mm -hmm. if if let's say my team is in trouble, I know that, okay, give it to Isco, he'll try and make something happen. That's not the same with Hazard. Hazard makes things happen in the final third. Isco can make things happen, he don't have in the middle of the pitch on the wing, he can make things happen in any area of the, the pitch, he's, he's, he's dangerous and he's effective anywhere, which is the kind of football that he's playing at. So this is why for me, Isco for me is definitely the guy I'd take over Hazard in that sense.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting about Hazard versus Isco is it's a bit similar to Messi versus ronaldo in terms of aesthetics so uh, there was a great piece i wrote i read in 442 years ago about how essentially your preference in messi versus ronaldo doesn't have anything to do with what they do but it's just how they look like when they play football so ronaldo Mm. is very you know he runs upright, he looked quite robotic he he looks like a guy who's been built at the gym and he looks like uh he looks like a machine He's a lot more free throwing. He looks like painting. He looks like water. He looks as if he looks more natural about things. If you say If, yeah, if Ronaldo yeah. looks like mechanical, yeah. and I think you get a similar thing with Hazard. I, I like Hazard playing football. I think there's a special thing Hazard does when he gets the ball in a wide area, where you can see he flicks his eyes left and right, and he sort of tests out three or four different possibilities at once. He goes, I can go left, I can go right, I can go up, yeah. I can go down, and you can see all that information going across his head. That I find particularly interesting. The Hazard trick is when he starts dribbling, realizes a fullback's about to tackle him, and then he stops touching the ball. He just sort of lets the ball run ahead of him and he just coasts and waits for and waits for the tackle to come in so he gets the foul. Oh yeah. Um I have interviewed Eden Hazard. It was uh one of the worst interviews I ever did. Wow. Why? Not because of not because of Ed and Hazard, but because I just wasn't in the correct uh Mind state for it, shall we say? So this was the se- this was the season of the Mourinho revolt. Oh. Huh. This was before the Mourinho revolt even. So this was before a ball when kicked at the start of the season. So I came in very happy like, hey, in how are you feeling about this season? He goes, ah, it's just a job. I, I play football and I go home and see my kids. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so what do you like doing in London? Ah, not much. I eat at restaurants.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, you're on the cover on FIFA. Do you play FIFA? No, I don't. I just look after my kids. Wow. And it was like that because clearly he was in a very unhappy mood about what's going on in Jose at Chelsea. Yeah. So it makes sense now, but at the time it was a Okay, so because so, so this was before the season had, had started. This was during this is before the season has started. Um so I interviewed him, I did it, I sent off the interview, I felt very, very bad because I felt as if I'd done it quite poorly. But it now makes a lot of sense in hindsight because he clearly was very annoyed. He didn't want to talk about Real Madrid. You were not allowed to talk about Real Madrid, you were not allowed to ask him about, well, no, not I wasn't allowed to talk about Real Madrid, but I had been privy to an interview he had done a couple of years previous when he just came to the Premier League and a journalist asked him about Real Madrid and if he felt flattered by Zidane saying he would drive him to Real Madrid in a heartbeat and the interpreter at the time said, absolutely not, I'm not asking you to that question. So he's a, he's a lovely boy, but he uh, he was in his feelings that day. <laughs>
0: Oh no! Yeah, he's 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 quite the emotional dude.
1: Fair play to him, you know. He's a great guy. He's got he's one of four young footballing brothers. Um, he's the oldest of them. Um, they're coming through quite nicely. And uh, he's the what the son of a former footballer, and his mother is also a semi-professional woman footballer. He's he's a footballing royalty, and uh, all power to him. And allegedly, 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 just in case someone tries to sue me for the stuff I just mentioned. <laughs> Um, Stephen Roberts, Sorry, man. You're safe, mate Stephen Roberts asks: Has have England become worse on the South Gate? Football is such a hard watch since he took over. This England thing, and I
0: think I said
1: this before. England's problem
0: is a five-year plan. England's solution is a five-year plan. The issue with England, and this comes from actually going to um, English schools and public schools and actually playing football through them, is what is taught to the kids. At eight or nine years old. I think someone told this to me, and it's very, very true. If you go on the continent in Spain, Italy, Portugal, Germany, kids are taught to play this, the sport well. So have fun, enjoy the sport, and just play it, play it the, the right way. It doesn't matter about the results. In England, when you're young, you're taught to win. Do what you need to do to win. And there's more focus on fitness training, physical conditioning, than on the actual sport itself. So, once you have it at such a young level, that's why I was watching this program. Um, it was basically like when Rooney's. Um...
1: Cut you off here quickly. Oh. Uh, so, Stephen Roberts is asking about England on the Southgate. And the question you're answering is a question from uh, at Board X Core, which is about do you think the culture of English football is holding back? English players. So, okay, let me Nessa, with that. Nessa, 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 You continue answer what me. you're saying. Okay. You continue what you're saying, but this is very much now your answer about the culture. Okay, of okay, English okay. Football. So, that, okay, I'll, I'll go back to the other one. So, basically,
0: I was watching Wade Rooney's program, and basically, here he did this program where it's about um, five-a-side football, straight street football, and he had all these English kids um, playing street football and basically doing the schools and everything. And they interviewed this kid, and they, and this guy, okay, so was pretty good. So, they interviewed him and they asked him that. So how come you didn't? How come you don't play eleven a side? And he said that he just doesn't he 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 doesn't find it fun, and he fell out of mm. love with it. So therefore, he basically went to five a side, and that story is similar to so many. There's so many talented, um, technically quality English kids who have fallen out of love with eleven a side, and play basically play five a side street football because of the way coaches approach eleven a side in England is very boring, very mundane, and a lot of the kids who are actually really good say, you know what, I don't, I don't enjoy this, so why am I doing this? So therefore, let me just go and play 5 aside. side mm-hmm. So until that psychology and that culture is changed, will you be able to change how England can then perform at 11-a-side? So you can bring your Southgates, your Rednaps, your Capellos, your Ericsons, England will never get past the quarterfinal, because they just do not have those technical players, those three, four, five technical players who can be the difference between winning or losing against a Spain and Italy, a
1: Portugal, or a Germany or a so Brazil. So, um, as, as I said before, we're currently recording during England versus Slovin- Slovakia. Slovakia. Even they've just won. Uh, they've just won uh, two one goals from. Eric, they beat Slovakia two one goals oh. from Eric Dyer and Marcus Rashford. Oh, okay, uh, give them the lead over after they conceded early to Lobo- Lobotka. Um, so let's just go through the England team lineup right now. So you're saying players England lack like players on a technical level. So goalkeeper Joe Hart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just give me your opinion of these players very quickly. Goalkeeper Joe Hart. Um, good shot stopper, but has lapses in
0: concentration and makes too many costly mistakes. All right, your back four: Carl uh, Walker, standard right back, not as good as people say he is. Gary Cahill, very average to defend and not great. Phil Jones, okay defender does the job. Ryan Bertrand, um, standard and um, fullback standard.
1: Uh, your double pivot is Eric Dyer and Jordan Henderson.
0: Eric Dyer, not bad, pretty good, but again, not really well, not really elite level. Jordan Henderson can't cut it against other top central midfielders playing his position.
1: Interesting thing about Eric Dyer is he's meant to be the continental member of the England squad. Giving he received most of his football education in Portugal playing for uh Sporting Club de Lisbon. Um, your wide player Marcus Rashford, Delhi, uh, your middle, th- yeah, your attacking three Marcus Rashford, Delhi Ali, and Oxley Chamberlain. Chamberlain, I like him, but I'm not sure whether he can he can
0: cut it at top level. Delhi Ali, Marcus Rashford have really really good potential, those are probably the best two players that you've mentioned, Rashford and Dele Alli. And the tip of the Spears, Harry Kane. Not convinced with what he can do internationally. Great plot, okay. uh, but don't not, not, not convinced yet about his international pedigree. And uh, let's go on the bench. John Stones. Not not, not impressed. Uh, Jamie Vardy. Okay, um, standard striker.
1: Not great. Tom Heaton in goal. Standard. Michael Keane. Uh, average. Aaron Koresbrough. Average. Uh, Nathan Chabler. Potential. Uh, Raheem Sterling. Um, pace on that it. nothing more. Rare mind Raheem Sterling won the Golden Boy in, I believe, 2014. So in 2014, Raheem Sterling was regarded as one of the best under-21 players in Europe. Um, but he's just a pace merchant. Yep. According to our hope, Jake Livermore, average, average. Okay, yeah. uh, Chris Smalling, S- solid defender, solid. now uh, Danny Orbeck, not great. Uh, Daniel Sturridge, technically good striker, technically good striker, technically gifted striker. Uh, and Jack Butlin as the final backup goalkeeper,
0: pretty good keeper.
1: Okay, so of the squad, 11 plus several. You have said only three players are of the technical level you deem as able to change a game
0: mm.
1: and uh, one of those players is on the bench and is Daniel Sturridge and the other two is the, interestingly, the other two players, uh, one is the 19-year-old Marcus Rashford and the other one is the 21, I believe, year old Deli Alley. So interesting that I think your approach is somewhat more scathing to England than your traditional ITV or BBC pundit. I think quite a few more players would be deemed as technically worthy um, for the England squad. But I think something that was particularly interesting about the England game, as, you know, what's half an hour of it, was we know a lot of these players are capable of moments of technical skill, but when they play for England, they seem to, to we out this cliche, when they play for England, they seem to just take it down a notch or two. And maybe that's because you know, in their various Premier League sides, they're concerned by better players, or maybe it's what because in their various Premier League sides, their weaknesses are covered up by very talented managers. So I think something I found particularly interesting in this game is how bad Kyle Walker looks. Now he's left Spurs. (laughs) Uh, A Spurs fan, who I will not name because he has a locked Twitter account, said you know, Kyle Walker's left Spurs for a little bit and he's already playing, he's already reverted back to his brainless um, running self, uh, which says a lot about the importance of coaching. Uh, I was talking to this about Kevin Byrne, um, the football. London transfer editor who's been on Talking Tax before, about how so many of England's players play to less than the sum of their parts for England. Uh, so his point was how Roy Hoshin should have been fired after the 2014 World Cup. And I said, you know, we're on, I said England were unlucky against Italy. Kevin made the point that Italy was very, very poor. Mm. Um, in the 2014 and I made the point that Italy's been very very poor for about four or five years now to which he replied Italy even when Italy have a poor generation of footballers in, even when they go through a dry spell they can push through because Italy's got a wealth of good managers they've got Prandelli mm-hmm. they've got Conte the book, they, I remember
0: they finished the bottom of the group England in that World Cup remember that though
1: they did they did but I think but uh, I think the point Kev wanted to make was even when Italy have a fallow generation of footballers, they, they can push through and get normally get out of a group stage because their coaching is very good. So I think if you look at the Italy squad of Euro 2016, outside of the Juventus block of defence of, you know, Cellini, Barzaghi, Bonucci and Buffon, it, there was quite a poor Italy side and they managed to get to the quarterfinals. They managed to knock out Spain because Antonio Conte is a supreme manager. I think the problem with English football culture is twofold. One, there's not enough coaches. So as I mentioned before, when I compared England's knockout to Iceland's knockout, about how in Iceland, I think there's a football coach for every 100 people in the country, whereas in England, there's just not nearly enough football coaches. And two, the way we coach is so, like you touched upon, is so thugged out. And, and you know, uh, I think a great example of it is, Do you ever play the game One Touch? Yeah. Yeah, so one touch is, you know, you have a wall. You kick a ball against it. Um, wherever the ball stops, the other person has to go and kick the ball against the wall. And it's all, yeah. About, yeah. It's all about angles. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, a certain so one-touch players just hit the ball as hard as they can. Other ones know if I hit the ball at this angle, it'll come back at this angle, and it does whatever. And it's a, it's a fair enough, it's a fun enough game to play if you grew up in an urban environment and you can't have a pitch to play football against. But it also teaches you to only receive the ball when you're static so you're not moving and then you run up and kick the ball mm. whereas if you you know you talk to any football coach receiving the ball when you're not moving is one thing it's receiving the ball when you're on the move when you're hitting on your weak foot when you're receiving it to your thigh when you have to get it down in your head those are things that can change an okay player from uh, a good to great player and i think a lot you know and like i said if you're playing in an urban environment where there's not enough space to play football that's okay and that's another problem. There, there are far too many spaces in England where there isn't space to play football. And yeah, it's all, it's all well and good being a street baller. But even street balling is getting, you know, has been demonising, not been able to play. Uh, I think I've, I was one of many kids who wasn't allowed to play football in the car park near my council estate because people were afraid of my ball breaking their car. So we had to play with a sponge ball so they wouldn't get stabbed anymore. Um, so we had ball stabbers, which is you had a ball, you run around. And if some if an older person didn't like your ball, you'd grab your ball, you'd stab it with a knife and go, go away. Um, uh, the, the barriers to getting into to finding good coaching and to finding good inroads into football in England are so hard, considering how rich England is. Like The St. George's complex that should be a centre of footballing excellence is long overdue, and I don't think it's completed yet. And we still haven't got an idea of what teaching football the English way should be. Um, so yeah, I think England has a lot of problems with football culture, and I don't understand when it gets fixed. Because I know, but, 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 if no, we were no, more no. of a rational football nation, we probably would have had a massive reform after Euro 2016. You know, when when France got knocked out of the group stages in World Cup 2010, they had a massive investigation into what went wrong and how they can change things. When no, no, Germany, no, Germany, how no, the key Germany is the best example I can think of. There's... I'm, I'm missing many. Don't worry. I said France had theirs in 2010. Germany had their big one in uh, after Euro 2000. Um, but that's that's interesting. Germany had that massive investigation after Euro 2000. England did nothing. They yeah. just hired Sven-Goran Eriksson. Um, and this is the problem. Whenever England England go one or two ways, they go all right. Let's go hire club manager. If that doesn't work, let's hire and try and promote a homegrown manager. Like England constantly chases trends rather than tries to deal with the information they have. And it's the problem you have where you're constantly being reactive than being proactive. And in my opinion, England will always be a tier two footballing nation. Mm. Um, but uh, what do you think of Gareth Southgate as a manager? He's probably going to be the manager at the World Cup.
0: I mean, for me, I just think that, I can you trust
1: Southgate against
0: Joachim Love, um, Tite, Loptigi, Um, really, so when it comes back to, because once you get to a quarter final, even a second round, it's about a tactical battle, because if we're going to assume that both teams are at almost a similar skill level, then it's about tactics, and I don't think Southgate has the experience or the knowledge to be on the same tactical level as some of these European, South American um, coaches, so to be honest, if you're an England manager, you don't which is which is the, the mistake with Ericsson? because I think Ericsson for me is is, a, is has been England's best manager in recent times. Obviously, probably the, the best manager in England I've had was um, Bobby Robson, but I think for for Eriksson, what I think he realized in hindsight was that you know what, England is a, is a four four two team. So when Capello came in with like three five two tactical stuff like that, we're not it, it messing guys up. England's psychology is four four two. You have your wingers, you have your strikers, your midfield, boom, it's balanced, and that is the how you will get the best out of England. Once you have that as a basis and realize that don't overthink things with English players, don't over tactical things with English players. Make, do very basic pass and move, use the very basic footballing attributes of guys, then England will be very good. As in the last time, England were like good, good, 96, stroke 98 under Huddle. Which is why I've always said that you know what? Yeah, Huddle said a ridiculous thing, which rightfully gotten sacked, but Huddle might probably be the best fit for england moving forward because Coddle will you take huddle back. back there, there is a be section be, of be, I'm, I'm i'm nigerian so that doesn't mean to make the decision but if i was english um based on what i mean it depends if i said if he was remorseful about what he said back in 98 like, look man everybody deserves a second chance if he was his remorseful i'd be like yeah like huddle he, he hasn't been a good manager in a long time um, that's because he, he, I mean, he did take quite a break after that whole nine, 98 stint. And for he me, went, I... he went
1: into club football at Southampton in, at Tottenham Hotspur. He he had a stint very recently as the assistant manager to Harry Redknapp at QPR. Um, so he's been around the game. He just mm. tends to do a lot more media work. I, he's effectively in semi-retirement. This Richard Keyes today said Glenn Hoddle should be the England manager. Again, um, and I think the interesting thing is people talk about how he was good in the league at the France 98. France 98 was 17 18 years ago now,
0: true. Which, which you know, basically, that was actually going to the other point I was, I was about to make. Football has changed, so huddle mm-hmm. coming in now, it is a whole different ballgame of what football is about. So, huddle, you're going against teams that are have a whole different approach to tactics, as in no team pl- plays like spain like basically no team in the, in the 90s plays like like spain now the way brazil are set to come the kind of players that they have are very different so you're going into a very midfield heavy kind of football so does hollow know how to adapt to that i don't know probably not but i think the bigger issue still is even if you bring in a huddle it's about grassroots because at the end of the day you ha- you have to have players to your disposal A greece 2004 is a once in a lifetime occurrence Really, you have to have top players when to win a tournament, you have to have top players. And England's players are a level or two levels below those of Brazil, Argentina, Chile, um, Spain, Italy, Portugal, Jeffrey. I mean, I can just keep naming these names, they're below yeah.
1: like seven teams. So, uh, quick, quick, quick fire question: uh, where do you think England are coming to walk up? What, what point would you think they're gonna get knocked out? Second round. Fair enough. I'll take that. Uh, next question is from Packed Mouse. Who's going to win? Who would win in the full match? France or Brazil? So is it between France and Brazil? If they were to play now? France, Brazil in the World Cup final is what Packed Mouse is saying. Who would win in a final? France or Brazil? You know what? Brazil, because of experience.
0: I think that as good as France's players are in a final, you've got Danny Alves, you've got William. And I think you, you 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 have you have Thiago Silva. I think those older players will be that bit of difference that will take them over the line, either in a penalty shootout or in an extra time or having a, a two one or something. So full strength, both teams at full strength, and also they've got Neymar as well. So yes, France have Mbappe, Lamar, Pogba, Lacazette, but Brazil will have the best player on the pitch, and mm. they just have that experience. So I think I I'm always one of like in a final. I always entrust in experienced heads, and Brazil just have more experienced heads than what France will have. So I'd take Brazil.
1: Back to England. Oh God, these questions are so scatter shot. Uh, we keep sending them in. It's fun just to have a big mailbag every now and again. Um, Theo Caesar Mosby, uh, Theo Mosby, us. Uh, who's England's worst ever footballer, judging of international performances? He. <laughs> Says Gerard slash Lampard is an acceptable answer. <laughs> um, Gerard slash Lampard is very much not an acceptable answer considering England have played players like uh Nugent was his face, who used to play for Bolton. Or oh, do I want to say Kevin Davis?
0: Oh, okay. I mean, so England's was I mean, that's a tough one. I mean,
1: Scott Carson didn't cover himself in glory. Even if England have played a lot of bad a lot of bad players have have rose
0: but we you know what I'd say to his Gerard Lampard thing I would say if you had phrase the question England's biggest disappointment then I'd mm-hmm. say it's a toss up between Rooney and Lampard
1: Rooney has a disappointment record goal scorer for England is a disappointment
0: um what how many goals has he scored in the in in world cups how many
1: one world cup goal no one world cup goal three in the euros Maybe yep. four in the Euros. Sorry, that's it. For a guy touted as, again,
0: your leading goal scorer, to score one World Cup goal in three World Cups, that's disgusting. So for me, it is... Well, no. If you, you,
1: if you allow me to, to add some qualifiers here, Wayne was, so what, 2014, he's fully fit, but very much on the downward side. 2010, he is injured and rushed back to recovery after the ankle injury in the Bayern game. Um, The game that many said is basically the last you ever got of top tier, Rooney. Um, So that's 2010. Uh, 2006, he gets himself sent off against Portugal, which is the point at which many believe Rooney stopped being superior to Cristiano Ronaldo in football and Ronaldo kicked on. Um And then, yeah, that's Wayne Rooney's World Cup history <laughs> because he will not play at, at Russia. So, um I'm sure he was injured for 2006. He was injured for 2006, wasn't he? No, no, no. 2006. He was injured in 2006, and he only played in the final group game because he, he, he turned up on an ankle boot and he said, "The yeah, big yeah, yeah that man. was what's called the metatarsal." No, no, 2010, he was
0: fit. 2006 was when he had the metatarsal injury.
1: Yes, yeah. So Rooney played in three World Cups. He was injured for two. And he was washed for the third.
0: Wait, wait. Was was he injured in the in the 2010 World
1: Cup? Yeah, yeah. He. So the 2010, the 2010, 2009, 2010, is the year where Rooney scored 34 goals for Manchester United. So this was after Ronaldo had been sold. Ferguson moved him back as the number nine. He scored 34 goals. Many of them were crosses. So he scored a lot of headed goals. Many of them were assisted by Antonio Valencia. But then he famously gets injured in the dying embers of the United Bayern Munich first leg quarterfinal. So he's meant to be out for maybe two or three months. Ahead of the second leg game on April 7th, 2010, um, Ferguson asked him, do you fancy it? You fancy give me half an hour? Ferguson, uh, Rooney talked to the medical team and said, look, I feel kind of comfortable in it. can I play half an hour of football because Fergie needs me? The medical staff said, you can play, you can only run in straight lines. So he played in the first half of that game. The, the fact he played was a phenomenon. No one expected him to be on the team sheet. So he played effectively on one leg. He um, played that game. It was seemingly going to plan. And then Aya Rubin scored one of the greatest scores I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. That knocked United out on away goals. goal. Uh, and then he, he didn't recover his form for the rest of the season. I think... United didn't win the league that year. No, yeah, United didn't win the league that year because any time Rooney finishes as United's top scorer, United don't win the league, which is a funny tidbit. Um, And then he went to the World Cup and he was very clearly short of form and short of fitness. And then after the 2-0 ball draw against Algeria, he said, nice to be booed by your own fans to the camera. World Cup performances have been poor, but... uh, One must remember he was only fully fit at one, and at at the one he was fully fit at, he was already a faded force. But in terms of bad World Cup England World Cup players, you know England internationals, you've got many, many. Um, I'm just going to look up my phone players like a one cap for England, and we can just pick one from there.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, did Kevin Phillips play like one or two games for England at one point?
1: I mean, Kevin Phillips won the Golden Boot, so. Go on the golden shoe was a top scorer for Europe, so he definitely should have yeah. played more. One cap, one is for England. Chris Kirkland, I don't even remember that guy. Neil Ruddock,
0: <laughs> Riza Ruddock,
1: Kevin Richardson, Ryan Shawcross, uh, Joey Barton, <laughs> uh, Seth Johnson, Seth Johnson, Francis Jeffers, David Nugent, and Michael Ricketts. So those are who are all a lot worse than Lampard and Gerard Mosby. Mosby's follow-up question is, do you think Liverpool have a legitimate title chance this season? And do you think Arsenal could finish lower than 12th this season? (laughs)
0: Um, Liverpool, um, no. Liverpool aren't winning the title this season. The the defence is too crap. You can't win a title without defence. And Arsenal will finish i mean i mean they won't finish any any lower than 7th i don't think i think 7th is the lowest they'll will they'll
1: finish i believe they won't finish lower than 7th so you think even uh, that's interesting i mean uh, liverpool could have a title chance i think that attack is really good man it's very good but how many times have you seen a
0: pure attack and a horrible defense win a league title <clears throat> A a, a bad defence. When have you seen a bad defence with a brain-dead defender like Lovren win a league title?
1: This is a good point. I think Liverpool might be on cue for another one of those seasons where they are the great entertainers and it does not quite click. So I think they might have another one similar Mm. to Rafa Benitez where they only lost two games of the season but they drew too many. Or like the Brendan Rodgers season where Suarez scored 41 goals. I think you're going to see a lot of 5-3s. You're going to see a lot of 4-0s. And I think they look like a lock-in for the Champions League. Yeah, if you ask me right now, teams that are going to finish in the Champions League, I'd say one, United, two, Liverpool. And I'd say neither of those teams is going to win the league. But we'll see. And as for Arsenal, I don't think it's going to be as bad as 12th. This is one of those things that happens to a lot of football fans is you forget how bad the rest of the Premier League table looks like. I think, you know, we're guilty of it on this podcast as well. And, we're you know, for me to spend so much time obsessed with the top six, top eight football clubs, you forget how bad, uh, I used to say Watford, but Watford look competent now, how bad Brighton versus Burnley can be. Or how, how, how boring West Brom away from home against uh, Stoke can be. Um, so I don't think I don't think Arsenal's going to finish lower than twelve. I th- I do think if Everton can get their stuff together, Everton might be able to pick Arsenal. But I think that's that's relying on a lot of factors, including what Ross Barkley wants to do when he gets fit in January. Uh, by the way, can we talk about Russ Barkley? Yeah, the, the man who should be playing for. Nigeria. Very quickly. So apparently, on de- on transfer deadline day, Russ Barkley was having a medical at Chelsea. Which is a lie. He said. And then changed his mind and went and and decided to stay at Everton. Um, the Ross Barkley has gone on to say via Twitter that he had no such medical. Um, although the powers at B. C. at Everton say he did have such a medical. Um, the Twitter joke is that Ross Barkley was halfway through running through a treadmill, hit stop, and ordered himself an Uber back to Liverpool, <laughs> which I found particularly interesting. And the, the, the thinking man's opinion is that Barkley is instead waiting for January so he can move to Tottenham Hotspur for a lower fee. Interesting about deadline day. The actual deadline day wasn't particularly entertaining. I think the big move was... I mean, the big moves were Lorente to Spurs, Sarko to Crystal Palace. Yeah, Oxley Chamber to Liverpool. But the big deal is what, Morris is at Leicester still. Virgil van Dijk is still at Southampton. The Thomas Lamar arrangement was particularly interesting because that strikes me as real incompetence. It's either incompetence on Arsenal's part or Arsenal pretending to care (laughs) or pretending to spend money to make their fans think they care.
0: What's so odd about that, though, is that, like, do you actually believe what Man City were saying? Because basically it was reported that City basically blamed Arsenal for the whole Sanchez fiasco because they apparently had a verbal agreement on 60 million, being in mind that Arsenal felt confident confident that they would be able to get Thomas Leloma. So they ended up just leaving City hanging and therefore just pulling out of a deal, which they had a verbal agreement on.
1: Yes. So the general consensus is Sanchez was off to City for what it just seems like straight money because... Arsenal became very confident they could secure Thomas Lamar. Shh. Arsenal make a bid for Thomas Lamar for 92 million pound. Monaco accept the deal for Thomas Lamar. Arsenal then pull out of the deal for Thomas Lamar, saying it would take too long to get the deal done before transfer deadline, before the transfer window closed. Therefore, because they couldn't even get the Thomas Lamar deal done, they were going to cancel the deal for Sanchez to go to Manchester City.
0: But Lamar actually said he didn't even want to go to Arsenal. That's not where he wanted to go. It was to, to Liverpool.
1: Yes, yes. So so this this means one or two things. So this means Arsenal made the bid to Monaco thinking it would be rejected and then were shocked by the fact it got accepted uh, and then quickly going, what? No, no, no. We didn't, we didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. Uh, no, 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 no. Or... It means they legitimately didn't think... Yeah, I think, I, I, you know, there, there are many permutations of this, but I think the one that most people accept is essentially Arsenal bid on Lamar not expecting the bid to be accepted. And when the bid did get accepted, they essentially bottled it. <laughs> and now it looks like Sanchez will go in January. Poss- you know, San- there's a good chance Sanchez will go in January, if not at the end of the season. And Meza will probably follow him. Seriously? I mean, neither they're both in the last year of their contracts. No,
0: but Ozil struck me as a bit. Actually, have you heard about this Ozil-Ian Wright's beef?
1: Yes. So Ozil, interesting that we talk about Ozil right now because he's just come off a very good game for Germany where he has scored in a 6-0 victory for Germany over Norway. Yeah. Um, I think he scored one and assisted one. He might have scored another. I will check. Um, so Meza Oza scored one, assisted another. Um, Draxler also scored in that, which is interesting because Draxler is another gr- big player who stayed at PSG, mm. at his club. He Stayed at PSG. But yeah, it, it. I mean, Sanchez is. It looks like a done deal. I'm. I'm hearing very interesting talk that the various personnel at Arsenal don't particularly like him or his current attitude. Oh yeah. So uh, I'm hearing rumours that certain central midfielders had to go at certain defenders and then had to go at Sanchez for for being so openly disgusted at the state of the club. Um. So it looks like he's going to go, if only just to make the dressing room a better place. And then Ozil, Ozil's on the last year of his contract. I think what's interesting about him is no one's bidding for him. Wait, wait, wait. wait whoa, whoa.
0: Back up, back up. So talking about this Ozil rights beef, because I just heard about it in passing.
1: Oh, Ian Wright thinks Ozo is just, you know, a, a daddy's boy. Daddy being Arsene Wenger. And thinks that uh, Ozil doesn't try hard enough. And Ozo very much is had like the approach of how dare you think I don't care about football. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially mm. the gist of it. Uh, after the 4-0 defeat, Ozil released a statement on Instagram which said, hate us, criticize us, scream at us, but we do care and we are listening to you. Or words to that effect Um, and Ian Wright said it's all well and good saying that sort of stuff but in your damn game hang on let's see if I can find it blame us shout at us criticize us but I'm also very disappointed about today's game we want to achieve a positive result before the international break but we're simply not good enough during the 90 minutes and Liverpool deserved a win angry to post on social media after such frustrating days like today but I don't want to let this match go undocumented before travelling for the DBF team. Nevertheless, Gunners, I'm sorry, especially for the fans who travel the way up to Liverpool to see us fighting, but we'll try everything to improve the next game and improve from the disappointment we are all feeling at the moment. And Ian Wright is of the approach. It's all well and good leaving messages like that, but we see you switch it on for Germany and you very much don't want to switch it on for Arsenal, so sort it out, mate. Basically, for me,
0: that's why I call them APC. Arsenal Profit Club or ABC, Arsenal Business Club. It comes from the from the very top. As in like that performance against Liverpool was embarrassing. For a team, even thinking of winning a Premier League title, that was an embarrassing performance. It's an an embarrassing way to lose. And when you think of Gabriel leaving, Mustafi possibly leaving in January, and now hearing that apparently Kroenke, by through some financial stuff, actually he needs the club to be selling players then you know that there's just something that's really up with the club. So just the club in and of itself is just messed up. And my thing with Ozil is this is that, and I've been having a back and forth with many people who are obviously also same sympathizers. He's technically a very good football player. He's very, very smart. He's got a great football brain, but I'm sorry, man. I'm with Ian Wright. As in, I look at Ozil and I'm like, okay, what's happening? Like, you're not trying, you're not fucking hard. And, Body language is so huge. Body language is so, so huge. And if you're looking at a guy and he's sluggish, his face is sullen, automatically, you'll just read that as saying that oh, this guy doesn't care. The only way, the way I would disagree with Ian Wright is that I don't think he switches it on for Germany and off for Arsenal. For goodness sake, in Germany, you're playing alongside Tony Cruz, Sami Khedira, you're playing alongside excellent, exceptional players. So Ozil doesn't have a bigger role I don't have to do as much in a team like Germany. Whereas for Arsenal, you have to do much. You have to track back. You have to be more involved. You've got to demand the ball a lot more. you are going to do more with the ball because you do not have that kind of luxury and talent around you where you can get away with doing less. Mm. That's my thing. So I just think for Arsenal, I've always said this, like with regards to the Sanchez thing, they should have sold him. 100%. This is what Ian Rice was saying. 60, whatever, sell him, get the money, move forward. Sanchez, especially in these states of mind, won't be enough to win you a Premier League title.
1: Nobody cares about the Europa League. So you're not going to win that anyway. One well, of the coaches at Chile remarked about Sanchez's physical fitness during the international break, saying he looks fatter than usual, which I think is interesting because didn't they lose to like um,
0: Paraguay or something?
1: They are they're a lot to be qualified for the World Cup, but the physical physical condition of Arsenal players has been talked about a long time, and it looks like we talk about how when Wenger first came to English football, he pay attention to diet and whatnot and then Mourinho came along and then made the Chelsea team the fittest team you've ever seen in the Premier League when he first came over and it looks as if standards may have slipped for Wenger now if players if a player such as Sanchez is overweight <laughs> or or lacking physical conditioning yes the guy's knackered because he's been flying back and forth between Chile and London since 2014 essentially he's hasn't the summer of this World Cup cycle but it is worrying about what's going on with Sanchez. Because um, the general belief seems to be that he doesn't like playing for Arsenal. The Arsenal players don't seem to be liking to play with him. But also, he's too good. Um, and I think the thing about... I very much believe if it wasn't Manchester City that was in for Alexis Sanchez, he'd have gone. I think if it was Barcelona, if it was Juventus, if it was PSG, Sanchez would have gone a long time before the transfer winner went. But I think it was the, 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 the visual of watching yet another Arsenal player sign for Manchester City that stuck in Wenger's crawl. And I think very much Wenger is now taking the approach of it's important it may not be that important that we have him, but it's very important that you don't have him. Okay. So that's our approach going forward. So that that's my that's my two that's our two for about Liverpool's chances and Arsenal's chances. Let's just wrap these questions up very quickly. We'll try and do this every month or so. Just have a big mailbag episode let me know what yeah. you think about it. Mason Barris Ask the question, who will be the final nominees for the Golden Boy Award? Uh, he says Ooh, he would go with, he'd say you go for Mbappe, Dembele, Dembele and Asensio. Uh, I would like, I regret to inform Mason Boris that Asensio cannot qualify for the Golden Boy uh, because the qualification for the Golden Boy is you have to be under the age of 21, you have to be playing on the, in the highest tier of European football and Essentio unfortunately did not make the shortlist for the 2017 one, even though he is 21, so he won't be able to win a Golden Boy. The current shortlist to that in April this year and includes players such as uh, Dembele, uh, Rashford, Dom Maria, Dominic Solanke, uh, Gabriel Jesus, Tom Davis, Timothy Fossumensa. Um, Carlton Vickers. Uh, the Golden Boy Award it has been going since 2003. Um, established by an old Italian news sports newspaper, Tutosport, and, and is created through voting through other football journalists and the, the pedigree of players that have won it. Um, so let's just go through this quickly. 2003 was won by Raphael Vandervaart, 2004, Wayne Rooney. 05 Messi. 06, Fabregas. 07, Aguero. 2008, Anderson, 2009, Pato, 2010, Balotelli, Goetze, 12, Isco, 13, Pogba, 14, Sterling. 2015 was won by Anthony Martial and 2016 was won by soon-to-be Swansea Central Midfield Dynamo, Renato Sanchez. Mm. So if you look at that list, outside, I think Anderson's the only one that strikes me as a player that didn't quite Achieve their potential. I think all those players and Van der Vaart, you know, was great in spells for uh, yeah, I mean, great. Real Madrid and he was he was good for great. He was good to great in spells for Real Madrid and Tottenham Hotspur. Rain Rooney, you know, say what you want about him, but he's a, a Messi's arguably the greatest player of all time. Fabregas is a World Cup winner. Aguero, one of the deadliest strikers in world football. Anderson didn't, you know, Anderson has a Champions League, but he got changed from a attacking midfielder into a box-to-box midfielder by Ferguson and it didn't quite work out. Pato, one of the deadliest strikers in the world for a while. Uh, muscle injuries put an end to his career. Balotelli could still come good. Goetze, dealing with, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Metabolism problems, but is still regarded as a great player. Isco is liquid football. We've spoken about him frequently. Paul Pogba is now the £90 million man. Uh, Raheem Sterling looks great. Even better now that he's going to be playing for Arsenal on the Wenger. Anthony Martial, I'm a firm proponent of Martial FC, which is a section of Man United fans that want Martial to play week in, week out in the wide position, even if it means Rashford has to sit on the bench. Uh, And Renato Sanchez looks like he's the real deal. So, uh, who do you think will be the winner of the next Golden Boy Award? So, we're talking players on the years of 21. had a stellar 2017. Uh, The leading candidates for this award right now are uh, Osman Dembele, Mbappe, those those are the top two. Uh, Justin Kluivert, to an extent, Christian Pulisic is on here as well. Who would you pick for the Golden Boy?
0: It's how I'll, I'll probably have to go with Pulisic.
1: Pulisic, interesting. Do you want to explain your reason behind that?
0: For me, I just think that his first of all, his performances for Dortmund have been amazing. He's really, really improved and really. Elevated his game in the past year, but really He's now become the golden boy For his national team, so at his Age, he's already seen as The man and the superstar Of his national team mm-hmm. So I think, for those two reasons, I think He definitely should get that award
1: Yeah, I can see that. Um, interesting thing about the Golden Boy award, uh, it's been going Since 2003 A defensive player has never won it It's always been a a, a a 10 A wide player or an out-and-out striker Same issues um, with the Balambor, like Apart from Cannavaro, when was the last time... Last well, to win it. Yeah. Which says more about how great Cannavaro was that like he managed to win it. And says a lot about Cannavaro's playing style. And also, I think um, if if, Can, if Germany had won
0: the 2002 World Cup, Khan would have won it.
1: Good good point. I think so. I think so. Um, Oliver Kahn is another great football player that I think will not realise how fearsome he was. But yeah, he was one of the greatest goalkeepers of a yeah. generation. Perhaps one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. I think the Golden Boy this year is going to go to Mbappe. You know, he he was the young stud that came. I I don't want to say out of nowhere, but with an unfancy Monaco side that went to the Champions League semi-finals and won league on on even. I mean, he rode a lot of luck. He 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 performed above expected goals to to in that scoring run to the semi-final. But as I've mentioned on this podcast before, the underlying numbers indicate that Mbappe was on a level with Alexis Sanchez last season. And he's also now become, or will become, the third most expensive player in world football. Now he's gone over to PSG. So I think it's hard to pass Mbappe as the golden boy. And I think he's going to be Nike's next big Wait, poster child.
0: So Mbappe really is at PSG? And that's like
1: real? PSG play, all done. Announced, loan deal for one season and then it'll go for a hundred and something million euros.
0: Actually, speaking on that still, financial fair fair play, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Financial fair play, thank you for that. That's a lovely Sieg because uh, Pac Mouse wants to go, why is La Liga so salty about PSG and City spending rules when they have both broken FFP rules? Uh, So if you do not know, uh, La Liga is asking UEFA to investigate Paris Saint-Germain for their FFP behavior, asking if their deal for Neymar and Mbappe are above board. UEFA has said words to the effect of "It's fine, don't you know? There's nothing to be investigated. They've uh, they've followed everything by the book." Um, FFP is an interesting concept because it was it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, I mean, while it was sold with the intention of preventing this financial doping, so it was essentially put in place to stop teams from being bought out by billionaire owners and spending loads of money. So while it initially seems like it was making football fairer, the argument is what they've essentially done is they've made it harder for clubs to supersede their evolution, which therefore protects... Older established clubs, because if you're a if you're a PSG and you suddenly have money and FFP is stopping you from spending money, that doesn't protect Toulouse. It doesn't protect Montpellier. Mm. What it does is it protects Real Madrid because it leaves them as the last true suitors in world football. So it's interesting. I think if you are of the opinion that one day we'll have a European Super League, sort of the top six will break away and go play the top six from. Serie A in the top six of Spain, then FFP looks like one extra weapon to help build that. Um, so something I find very interesting is FFP and rules to the effect came down pretty harsh on clubs like... So, you know, FFP really, really hurt AC Milan. Berlusconi couldn't afford the money anymore. AC Milan had a lot of ageing players in their ageing... Um, in their like late 20s, early 30s with very little resale value. So they had to sell Tiago Silva and Ibrahimovic, which therefore reset their development for four or five years. And they've only just begun to recover now. Um, but, now that in the, but now AC Milan has been bought out by Chinese investors and they're spending a lot of money, FFP doesn't seem to have any effect. Um, it's a very weird rule. I don't particularly understand it. Um, AC, the UEFA seems to pick and choose when they want to apply it. Seems to be very easy to get round. A very important thing about FFP is that it was put in power by Platini, <laughs> and while at the time we thought Platini was a fantastic altruistic future FIFA president, nope. Well, the man has uh, agendas and was uh, just as capricious and uh, malevolent as Seb Blatter. So don't we've done away with FFP and just let clubs spend what they want to spend, and if they implode, they implode. We are. We have to pretend that so and so is going around and so and so is doing things. I think the best team in the world that are using FFP is maybe Chelsea because FFP taught Chelsea let's do this lone army thing. So uh, yeah, that that's all I want to say about FFP. What about you, Hope? Football is reaching a, a,
0: a breaking point, and this is the reason why I explain. I mean, again, when people say, "Oh, who do you support?" and and I kinda reminding people that I supported Chelsea when they used to lose to Bradford City away from home on a rainy day where Dean Winders would score a brace and Chelsea would finish no- nothing above sixth. you know. And I was the most diehard Chelsea guy. You can ask my guys from school. But when Abramovich came in, I said that, "No, this is the beginning of something very dangerous. Here. <laughs> and I think that this is going to ruin the sport that I love. You know, This is going to ruin the purity of the sport that I love. So I said to myself that, What am I supporting really in Chelsea? Really, and I think sometimes I just myself maybe like let me just forget it, let me just be part of this whole fabulistic thing. But like, no, like, no, I mean, maybe I think too much and I think about these things too carefully. But for me, I was like, it doesn't make any sense for me supporting a team under this whole Abramovich regime. And what Abramovich did it was a domino effect, which has now brought in the Qataris and brought in all these businessmen and all the and also the, the Chinese as well to a point where you can just buy your way to a league t- title. As in, I love that Neymar went to PSG. I will always support it. I think it was a great start. He's no longer Lionel Messi's lapdog, and he has his own team that can be a superstar. But, Carl, at the end of the day, a man went to another team for €222 million. Euros. That's frightening.
1: It's, re- it's I mean I would much these nations and investors spend €220 million to buy footballers than to buy tanks. Why can't that money be spent uh, I not, to improve the lives of? It's not one. It's not, less fortunate. Well, to a degree, is is it not helping the lives of the less fortunate by buying Neymar so you can enjoy them in your football club? And uh, no, 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 no. Look, we can, but I'm no, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being willfully obtuse. There, that money's never going to be spent on research or helping the homeless or which is which is a um, look.
0: And then look, or on, on whatever
1: nice thing you want, it's always going to be spent on something to show off how powerful these people are. So, before they would spend it on guns and tanks and fireworks, or on political campaigns to make sure certain people would remain in power, and now they want to spend it on footballers. So, which wants to spend the all money he took under interesting reasons on footballers' fair play if the PS, if the Qatar royal family wants to spend their millions on getting Neymar to France rather than spending it on tanks or scientists to help them create nuclear arms, then fine. We talked about this before when Stephen Tudor was on this podcast. Why are you annoyed when your club or when a football club spends so much money? It's not your money. Um, and again, I think it has something to do with the fact that you don't want to be seen to look like an idiot when it's your club And when another club does it. You don't want to feel as if the thing you love is, a ne- is necessarily grubby and i think you just have to accept it it's, it's part of the game now
0: i oh, no 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 for me like football is football and i'll always know football but for me there is a clear distinction between club football and international football as when i look at club football the parity doesn't even exist <laughs> you know there's there's hardly much much, much parity but my, for me in international football that's like the last bastion because international football that is as pure as it gets this is Nigeria's best 11 against Brazil's best 11. This is France's best 11 against um, Portugal's best 11. That is this is our country. This is our culture against your culture. Boom, boom, bam. No buying of players. Even if you can say okay, like the England under-19 team, those are mostly like Nigerian guys, obviously one them, that's, that, that's cup. Fair enough. But in most cases, it's really just, it is what it is. There's there's no money being branded around. But I just think that, when we go back to FFP, mm. These guys are not going to do anything because a lot of these people who work for this company, they, I'm sure they have vested interests because these guys, I'm sure have links with Barcelona, have Real Madrid. And some of these guys have some kind of business interests linked with Paris, linked with the Bartomeo, linked with, um, the, um, guys who own, um, the, the, the Qatar group that own PSG and Man City as well. Hence why, they, as you said, they act in very sporadic, random terms, you know, and they pick and choose how they want to act. As in, it's pretty much the most useless kind of police force I've ever seen. Because I say, wait a minute, surely there must be consistency (laughs) to how you go about doing things. You can't just say, hey, okay, now we're going to investigate. Wait a minute. What about the other stuff that has been going on? Why are you now... So I just think the group, they're a joke. And I just think to avoid more embarrassments, Just unless if you're not going to
1: take it seriously, just break it up, you know,
0: just break up the whole group,
1: yeah. Um, well, that's all our questions, okay, guys. Thank you for asking your questions. Um, it's made for a fun mailbag episode. Obviously, it's an international break, so uh, is there anything in the international break you want to talk about very quickly? Hope
0: I just well, I I, I just hope that um, Nigeria can get that ticket and Ghana. What's 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 happened, man?
1: Oh boy, uh, yeah, that's painful, uh. Is it Kresi Appiah? Mm. He's the most tactically bankrupt manager I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> He's awful. He's awful. And uh, Kresi Appiah, the Ghana manager, led Ghana out to a very underwhelming one-all draw against Gabon. Uh, wait,
0: wait, I should wait, I've, I've got them um, groups here. Um, no, Congo. Uh, so Ghana's on two
1: points against yeah, Congo. Yeah, yeah, uh, so Ghana were the... Ghana was the favourite to qualify from the from the World Cup qualification group. They're currently third with two points. Egypt yeah. is on four points in second, and the much unfancied Uganda is top of the table with six.
0: No, 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 um, no, no. no, no. You, Uganda are on seven points. Egypt six. Ghana seven. two.
1: Congo one. Ghana are going to play Congo tomorrow. Um, tomorrow being Tuesday. Tuesday, so when this goes live, um, against Congo, and it's a must-win game. If Ghana don't win, that's it. Uh, very interesting that. that United fans are very interested because in recent World Cups, Ghana have become a bogey side for the United States. Um, there's a great article on the BBC about how football fans in Guantanamo Bay support Ghana during World Cup years because Ghana knocked out the United States in both the 2006 <laughs> and 2000, in 2006 and 2010 World Cup. There's a little bit of geopolitics for you. And then, of course, it all came to pass. USA beat Ghana in the opening game in 2000. 14 world cup um so yeah ghana versus the united states is one of the most in- more interesting recent world cup rivalries um england have won their two games uh they beat malta 4-0 uh in a very i don't want to say pedestrian but it was a good victory that only really clicked into third year uh once the multiplayer is tired in the latter stages uh they just beat slow sort of I get this wrong every single time. I want to make sure if it's Slovakia or Slovenia. I apologize if I get this wrong. It's Slovakia. Yeah, they beat them 2-1. Uh, again, Deli Ali looks like he could be in trouble because he looked like he flipped the middle finger off to England fans who were booing him. Oh, wow. Um, so there's that. Spain the Italy 3-0 in a great... Isco, man. Just a great game. It really looked... Isco was fantastic, and it really looked as if... I don't want to say Spain are back because they never really left, but it really looks as if Spain are going to be... Challenges for the next World Cup. Um Brazil are looking good. Argentina they'll probably get there via the playoff. Germany beat Norway 6-0 and won their previous game as well. So you know, the World Cup right now we're looking at of possible winners you've got Spain, Brazil, Germany, France, despite France is no no Yeah, as you know, I think Chile will Chile will be in there, Argentina will make it. I think the major, large footballing nation that won't get there is the Netherlands, but the Netherlands has been... Yeah, no, going I don't mean, know. They're going through a real bad spell right now. I think that's like, to do it's, with, with it's failing. It's that Robin has to be in that team. It it's, it's sickens me that Robin has to be with, with such trash. Robin shots. scored in a... I believe it was a 3-1 victory over Bulgaria, but they, they look bereft of... When you're still playing Robin and Van Persie in 2018... <laughs> And it's that's a the problem. There's a real dearth of talent coming through. And a lot of this comes from the fact that the Dutch league it lacks money. And some of these young Dutch players are being picked off by the Premier League and not getting enough game time. And if they are getting enough game time, they're doing it for lesser footballing lights. So it's less going to... It's less you're going to Barcelona to be a starting player, like perhaps Sir Overmars might have done. Or, or I was going to say but I just remember he's Danish. And more, you're going to go sit on the bench for Newcastle United or you're going to sit on the bench for Manchester United, which is not where you want to be. So, yeah, uh, quick question. Who do you think is going to win the World Cup? Too early to say, but as of right now, if you're going to put
0: me to it, um, if they make it, screw it, I'll say
1: Chile. Chile, wow. A f- new new World Cup winner in Russia. Wow. Uh, awesome. Yeah, go for it. Um, France looked fun, Spain looked fun, but... I'd be very stupid to bet against Germany again, wouldn't I? So, Whoa, so you, so you think Germany will defend their title? Why not? It's in Europe. It's in interesting, inhospitable circumstances. Well, I say Europe, it's in Russia. Um, it's in interesting circumstances. So why not? Let's pick Germany to win to win it again. Wow. Um, cool. Anything else you want to mention? No, nah, man. I, 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 think, I think that might be it, man. I think that might be it. All right. Well, it's a breezy one. Uh, people were warned that if it's just half-hope versus Kyle we end up yelling at each other, but they have it. Uh Hope, where can the people find you? You can find me at Half Hope Hot. That's where you can find me at, at Half Hope Hot on Twitter. Okay. Uh have you got any recommended reads or heroes and villains from the week of football? Um,
0: recommended reads um again for me, I think I, I may mean, have mentioned this before, but I recommend everybody to read um PLO's autobiography. I think therefore. I play. I believe that's what, what it's called. Superb book. Funny, insightful, and just like the man, a very pro- profound, foreboding book. Um, Heroes and Villains of the Week. Um, Hero of the Week, I would say Robin, because of how he's still coping with that crapness in the Netherlands. And, actually, no, no, sorry, no, sorry, no, sorry, Hero of the Week. I have to say the entire Nigerian team for their display against Cameroon, villain of the week, um, than the Netherlands for what they're doing to so, Robin.
1: Fair enough. Uh, you can find me at Anchorman616. You can find Daniel look at Daniel look on Twitter. Uh, you should uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, check out Have Hopes Football Hut on YouTube. <laughs> Hero of the week is Uh, My hero of the week is uh, Ross Barkley, because if Ross Barkley really did switch off the treadmill and order himself an Uber, that is hilarious. Um, And my villain of the week is the international football break. Look how bored we are right now. Uh, Recommend read to me this week. Uh, I recommend you check out an article on the Bundesliga English language website, which is essentially the Bundesliga laughing at the Premier League. The Bundesliga is talking about how the Bundesliga is now the best league for young English talent rather than the Premier League. There's a great piece in the Guardian about Shanghai football fans are disappointed in Carlos Tevez's performance and now Tevez probably will not come back to China next season. Yeah. One, I didn't realise Gus Poyer is Tevez's manager in China. Uh, and there's a big point about how Tevez doesn't like the food in China as well. And uh, check out the new f- sports website Versus, which is made by People Make Complex. I've written a new article there which talks about how Talks a little bit about the Neymar deal and how Neymar has created the next great sporting rivalry, which is him versus Messi. I forgot. I think those will be put into the recommend reads.
0: So yeah, No, this... not, I, I forgot a really good read. I'm not sure where, where you can find this, but where Robin speaks to his, I think his 16 year old self.
1: Um, oh, before... that's Players Tribune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Players yeah. It's a fantastic R- website R- which gets. Sports players around this point this spora, uh football, basketball, tennis, wherever, and essentially this gives them fifteen hundred words to write about whatever subject they want. Um, they use ghostwriters. But uh, Robin has one where he writes a letter to his younger self. I recommend that one. I also recommend after you read that one, you read martyrs letter to our younger self as well. Um, and I think Ray Allen has one about why he went to visit Auschwitz. So if you ever do if you ever get like a spare Sunday, just take spend all day on the players tribune and read articles there. It's a great website. Um sorry to button hope. Anything else you wanna say?
0: No no no, that's it man. I think that's it.
1: That is it. Okay. Uh do you wanna go first or do you wanna go second on this always football? I'll 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 go first. So talking tactics.
0: Sometimes funny.
1: We weren't meant to go into it right now. Um, so thanks for talking tactics podcast. Thank you. We do this every week. We do this every Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thank Daniel, remember well to rank us. Leave a comments on
0: SoundCloud. Talking tactics. Share it around on your Twitter, on your Facebook page. It only totally takes you a few seconds. Just share the podcast. Share it with your friends. Tell a friend and spread the word. Now you can go. Thank you. Listen to Talking Tactics. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. See you next week. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network